Welcome to episode 117 of the Grip Strip Podcast, the Checo Chocolate and Fred X edition of the Grip Strip Podcast, coming off the greatest day in motorsports this past Sunday. Uh, there was plenty of racing outside of that that we'll get into, and we have to keep on going. There's racing going on this week, too, so we'll get into all of that as well. My name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's going on, man? Hey, I'm doing great, Phil. It was a great day of motorsports yesterday and lived up to its billing for the most part, the greatest day in motorsports. Um, you know, we had a lot of rain in Monaco, um, and Ferrari threw it away. You know, and then, of course, the Indianapolis 500 was really awesome to watch throughout the whole race. And then Coke 600 was actually compelling for the first time in probably a decade. So um, a lot of great racing we saw yesterday, and definitely, yeah, the greatest day in motorsports for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's the Formula One race was marred by poor execution of getting the race started for like over an hour, which basically screwed up a lot of plans on my end. Uh, but they don't really give a fuck what I think. But the fact is the FIA did a terrible job there. We'll get into that. But as you said, Josh, uh, Ferrari gave it away. Um, Checo Perez did a great job, qualified ahead of his whiny teammate, and they didn't take it away from him, even though I kind of had a fear they were going to make a move over early in the race. But they didn't make that call. And in turn, their strategy of the overcut um, gave them the what eventually worked out to be a 1-3 finish. And then Carlos Sainz, a call to stay out, probably stayed out a little too long to get onto the slicks was Probably a defining factor for him why he didn't win, but we'll get into that. But he finished second. Charles Leclerc qualifies on pole. He's from Monaco. He's always wanted, he's never finished a race there. Finally finishes a race. He was leading by four seconds at one point and leaves finishing fourth and losing more ground in the point standings to Max Verstappen. And will. Um, and now Sergio Perez is within 15 points of the lead. So now there's actually three drivers competing for this championship. So interesting to look at that as the season goes on. They go to Azerbaijan here in a couple of weeks' time uh, there, and then Montreal for the first time in a few years. Indianapolis 500 saw Marcus Erickson uh, win for Chip Ganassi Racing. To be honest, I didn't think that he would be the Chip Ganassi guy that would win. Uh, you could have chosen the guy who led the most laps and the guy who's been the the guy who has led more laps at Indianapolis than anybody in the history of the 500, Scott Dixon. But um, he gave it away on pit road and the final pit stop in a rare mistake that you wouldn't expect from the Iceman. It, it harkens back to Juan Pablo Montoya at the Brickyard 400 a couple of times driving for Ganassi, giving away the Brickyard 400. Um, might be the biggest, one of the worst mistakes of, of Scott Dixon's legendary career. Um, he had the race basically on lock. And the, based on the speed that Pat O'Ward, who finished second, had late, he could have probably held him off there. Um, Alex Pillow got screwed by the caution. I'm trying to remember which wreck it was. I don't know if it was Renus VK caution, I think, when he hit the fence. And, um, didn't get on pit road, but he was already committed, so he couldn't turn back off and then had to come from tailback. Um, but they had two of the fastest cars. Tony Kanan had a fast car late in the race and what might possibly be his last Indianapolis 500. And then we'll get into the guy who was awarded Rookie of the Year 
um, as well. But it was a Ganassi month, and a Ganassi team won. And uh, Marcus Erickson gets to bask in the glory of being an Indianapolis 500 champion first Swede since Kenny Breck in 1999, even though the Indianapolis star called um, Marcus Erickson Felix Rosenquist. So there's something with that. I guess copy editing and layout artists um, can't read or look at, you know, Twitter or Facebook and see or some other ma- some other form of media to find out who the hell the winner of the Indianapolis 500 is. We'll get into all the big t- talking points with that. Um, plenty to get into. Uh, the Coca-Cola 600 saw Denny Hamlin lead four laps, but he led the most important one. He qualified on pole, had a good car. Uh, or had what we thought was going to be a, t- a continuation of Kansas, but it definitely wasn't for Toyota. Um, though there were Toyotas up there during the day. Uh, a lot of wrecks, a lot of close racing, close action. Kyle Larson, the defending race winner and defending champion, series champion, was in line to possibly win this race after basically saying he had one of the worst races of his career for the first, I think, 300 laps of the race. And racing fellow USAC guy Chase Briscoe. Chase Briscoe continuing the rep of going for it, whether it comes through or not. And yet again, it didn't come through. But in he's disappointed. We'll get into that as well uh, in his execution of the move. But it's the best run that the 14 team has had in a month and a half. And uh, the four car finished third. So Kevin Harvick was rousted from slumber. Um, a lot of crashing, longest race ever in the history of NASCAR, but it might have been the best Coca-Cola 600 there's been in, I mean, Josh says a decade. Um, I probably, it has to be at least 15 years, if maybe longer, um, since that I can remember a 600. Um, yeah, so it's probably this year was, since 2007. Yeah, it. I mean, so we'll get into all that. I mean, it was definitely interesting. A lot of action. A lot of destruction, and um, yeah, we'll get into the roundup with Formula 2 at Monaco, and, which was a good weekend there for Felipe Drogovic, continues his domination. MotoGP and Moto2 are at Mugello. Um, Joe Roberts had a great ride to finish second at uh, in the Moto2 race. Um, Peko Bagnaia goes and wins, but f- uh, Fabio Quattararo finishes second to um, consolidate his points lead. Um, there's some news in MotoGP that's come out today, so we'll get into that. IMSA will be racing at Detroit. It'll be the DPIs and the GTD category, so it won't be a big field, but it'll be a solid one. Formula E will be making their first appearance in Indonesia this coming weekend. Uh, Rally Italy for the World Rally Championship coming up as well. We'll preview the Detroit Grand Prix uh, IndyCar race, the last one that'll be on Belle Isle, because they'll be going back to the city city streets of Detroit like they were back in the 80s when they took over the same circuit that Formula One used to race on prior to that. Then the Cup and Trucks, a uh, couple make their debut at Gateway this coming weekend, so that'll be an interesting race considering what these cars have been doing on flatter tracks so what will this car do i think the shifting might make it a little bit better um trucks will be there 
Um, obviously, um, we talked about trucks briefly. You can get into that in the preview for the truck race uh, as well from Charlotte. We were talking about it during the show last the last show. And then Xfinity will make their debut at Portland uh, International Race. So the trucks ran there a couple times back in the day. Uh, but now this will be the Xfinity series running at Portland uh, for a first time. I know Winston West ran there back in the day too. So that'll be interesting road course ringers, um, but it'll be an opportunity basically for AJ Allmendinger uh, to go and get a win, I would think, but we'll get into all that. Josh will talk the sim game coming off of the Indy 500 win. How do you go and how do you go and add to that? How do you go and do something even better? Is Lamar on the table? We got to see. We'll see what Josh says here later on for that, and then um, we'll close the deal. So let's start with the Indy 500. Um, Ganassi dominated the month. Um, the McLaren team showed up on Sunday for sure, especially their new, newly re-signed driver, Patricio Award, uh, and Felix Rosenquist, who basically they were saying that he's racing for a ride which I would venture to say he should be because he's been pretty god-awful. Um, I mean, you're going to sign Alexander Rossi to run for them uh, here starting next year, and I figure that's to go and replace Paddle Award. I said it on Grid Talk yesterday from, uh, in the post-race, considering how bad Daniel Ricardo has been doing, that um, they should be looking at Paddle Award, though, even the race, Ed Straw, legendary reporters talking about Colton Herta ahead of that, but I don't know. Uh, that's something to be seen. But in the end, it came down to Marcus Erickson, Pato Award, but Scott Dixon dominated the race and screwed up. Townsend Bell literally called it, and then by the time Dixon's exiting pit road, the penalty comes and it's like, oh my goodness, this whole race has slipped on its lid. Like I, it was one race. It was him and Pato Award for most of the day, or him below Pato for most of the day, and then that flipped the script. Josh and Marcus Erickson was there and just sneaky, the sneaky sweet as uh, Hinge called him, snuck one through and took the Husky Chocolate number eight to victory lane and wins $3.1 million based on the reports they had on motorsport.com. So a prolific week of prolific day for uh, a man who ran in formula one for many years and never really got any rewards from it, spent a lot of money there and now has won his third career IndyCar race and probably has guaranteed himself a long-term uh, employment at Chip Ganassi Racing, Josh. Yeah, you know, for Marcus Erickson, I mean, this is a, a huge victory, and you know, he he's been up there throughout the month. Uh, wasn't the fastest uh, out of the Chip Ganassi bunch, but he was one of the fastest, and um, you know, it was hard not to count him out. But you know, we were thinking of Alex Pillow, um and. Uh, Scott Dixon and even you know Tony Kanaan and uh, Jimmy Johnson as guys that we contend and we weren't sure about Marcus Erickson you know he's kind of the yeah like Hinchcliffe said the sneaky guy sneaky Swede um, and you know he was able to kind of take advantage of misfortune by Scott Dixon go out and um, you know at first it was Pato Award and McLaren and uh, Felix Rosenquist, another Swede that had potential shot at victory, but then I mean, he had better speed um, on the final run before the last caution 
Jimmy Johnson crashing there and had a um, he was able to take the lead and then you know the final restart he was able to um, snake through the uh, front and back straight and keep uh, fend off Pato Award from taking the lead and you know Pato probably could have had a chance if he would have just held you know held on to it in turn one on the final lap on the outside of uh, Erickson but you know I think he just uh, decided to place you know play it smart and go for um, you know the points lead because obviously it's a um, a risky move to go on the outside like that when you um, don't have quite the speed or the grip, uh, especially, you know, they were lacking the uh, the wicker that uh, a lot of other teams had added on. They went uh, really low on downforce, and so they probably, uh, or he probably could have hit the wall there. But, you know, Erickson, you know, has quietly been actually one of the best drivers in uh, IndyCar since uh, the 2021 Indy 500. Um, I mean, if you kind of look at his statistics, he's actually outscored Dixon and Pillow since then, um, uh, since that race last year and going all the way uh, to the 2022 Indy 500 yesterday. And it's kind of crazy how it's all kind of happened because the first win in IndyCar that he had was, you know, Will Power uh, had the issue at the Detroit Grand Prix, couldn't get restarted after the red flag. And basically that race fell into his lap there and had a chance to, to win that one. And then, of course, uh, Grand Prix at Nashville, you know, crashed and literally got projected into the air and somehow uh, survived that race and did not have – somehow it was able to still have a, a race-winning car even after, you know, getting launched literally into the air at that race. And, you know, he got those two wins last year, but, you know, quietly he's been, you know, outscoring Polo and Dixon since then. And yeah. now he's got the 2022 Indy 500 and uh, his name is in immortality now. Yeah. He, the part you left out on the Nashville deal is Colton Herta dominated the entire weekend and crashed by himself while leading, had a huge lead. And once they cleared that up, the guy who picked up the pieces was Marcus Erickson. And now is two teammates, much more heralded teammates, uh, one of the greatest race car drivers ever, and Scott Dixon made a very rare mistake. Um, I'm curious to see what he's going to do this weekend. I think he's going to be really angry. And I, I fundamentally believe that now the only way that he – he feels any better is one he's going to go and win somewhere whether it's this weekend or he's going to want to win immediately as soon as possible they have a break after this so i think that'll probably drive him to be go even harder and i think he wants number seven now because it's like i had the car i had the month i i did the i'm going to be in the record books as the fastest four lap average for a pole sitter in indy history i led more than half the race I mean, he led 95, he led 95 or not more, so or sorry, almost so 95, half. my fault, my fault my uh, on the math. But he was up there. It was him and, I mean, look at it. For the first 30 laps of the race, it was him or Pillow. Then after, what is it, for? it was the dixon Pillow. Yeah, it was dixon Pillow until lap 60, and then through, or lap, like, just under the last 70, for 70 laps, and then there was a wreck. I think it was, yeah, the 77 crash, I guess, was where um, Polo got screwed up there. Because I'm trying to figure out where it went wrong for him. I thought it was when uh, Renus of VK hit the wall. But, uh, you know, it is what it is for those two guys. Uh, Marcus Erickson takes his third career win. Um, one of the fastest, uh, I guess, 
one of one of the fastest Indy 500s ever um, in history. So that's something. Um, it's been that way here recently. The last few years, these races have been a lot faster, mainly because they're a lot cleaner than back in the day. A lot less um, attrition in that sense. Erickson takes the points lead because of the double points. Pato Award uh, finishes 1.79 seconds behind and moves up to second in points, 13 points behind Erickson. Antoine Canon gets a podium, his best finish in the Indianapolis 500 since his win uh, nine years ago. Felix Rosenquist gets a fourth-place finish, also leads, or, or Felix, did he? No, he didn't lead, but uh, he was up there most of the day, uh, now moves up to ninth in points. Alexander Rossi from 20th finished fifth, in the lead Andretti Autosport car, Connor Daly, sixth. He led laps again this year. Uh, had a good car there uh, earlier in the race. Uh, he was swapping the lead with uh, Scott Dixon there just before halfway, but then got back in traffic, really didn't have anything. Uh, Elio Castro-Neves gets a seventh-place finish, starting 27th in his uh, drive for five. Uh First attempt, uh, comes out seventh, gets past his teammate Simon Pagino, the former Indy 500 winner. Um, he's in eighth in points. Alex Pillow recovers to finish ninth. He is third in points, um, 14 points behind his teammate Marcus Erickson and one behind Paddle Award. Uh, Root Beer Floathead finished 10th. Juan Pablo Monterrier finished 11th. And uh, so that's the top 11 there. J.R. Hildebrand uh, 12th. Uh, it, I guess we can get into some of these other people. It, it kind of goes, we talked about how the McLaren team, all three McLaren cars finished in the top third of the field. Um, they were one of the lead Chevy teams. Uh, the Ed Carpenter team had much better quality. I mean, with Renus VK and Scott or Ed Carpenter had great qualifying pace. Renus VK, we really don't know what would have happened with him. He was up front early, but then he wrecked uh, because of that tail, the the headwind in turn two, which affected multiple people yesterday, Josh. And then he, he could have played a big part in this race, but he we never we will never know because he wrecked forty laps into it. Um, Ed Carpenter got a penalty, and I think he had some issues on pit road too, which yeah, he couldn't didn't get help refired him. there. Yeah, he couldn't get refired, so that screwed him up. Um, but Connor was the one to carry the load after not having the qualifying pace uh, during uh, the week before, but he had a good race car. But then once you get past those teams, the Ganassis, and you look at Andretti Autosport, you look at Penske, of course. Those two teams, I mean, you can get in others. They mentioned Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan on Racer, but you look at some of these other big teams, wasn't that pretty. You know, like Takuma Sato had had pace all month, and then in the race just didn't really have anything. David Malukas ended up being the highest finishing rookie on the day. Um, I mean, Rossi covered for, I guess, Roman Grosjean, who was running well before he wiped himself out. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the thing. I mean, you get past Dixon and Pelot and what happened with them, um Award and Rosenquist, what they were able to do, and especially Rosenquist under the pressure, under pressure to be able to show up and and have a great run. Um, but when you look at some of these other big teams, 
really wasn't that good this month or the month of May wasn't all that profitable. I mean, I guess in the end of Andretti, Herta had the great run in the Indy Grand Prix, Rex his primary car in carb day practice and had a, a car that was undrivable and had to park uh, yesterday, continuing his bad luck in the Indianapolis 500, um, losing a, to- a lot of ground, falling to 10th in points. Um, which, you know, it's kind of the same pattern that's been the case ever since he's been in IndyCar. You lose a ton of points in the double points race. He probably will go out and win a couple, two, three races after this, but it won't be enough. Um, It's a, that's, I think that's the big storyline outside. One of the big storylines outside of that is those big teams really didn't have anything to show for it outside of Alexander Rossi, who does really well in this race when he's given the opportunity. Yeah, I mean the all the big teams though know, they're out to lunch. You know, we were expecting a lot more from uh you know from Penske, you know, this is their track. Will Power at least made it into the Fast 12 uh the previous week and you know and the, the race you know, didn't really have anything. He was MIA. Uh I think Joseph Newgarden, I think there was some points where he was up in the the top 10, but uh again, I mean they they just could never find a way to get up, uh, you know, to be a significant contender uh, in this race. So, um, you know, the the Chevys you know, outside of Ed Carpenter Racing, yeah, they were definitely uh, out to lunch. Uh, and and um, Aero McLaren SP, of course, obviously, they uh, ended up being the top contending teams in this race. But, um, you know, the, the big team Chevys, of course, like Penske, they're out to lunch and uh, didn't compete really in the, uh, this race. And then, um, you know, I think the only uh, big team, I guess, that you could say is a, as a multi-car team that uh, was at least somewhat competitive was Meyer Shank with uh, Elio Castroneves and Simon Pagano. They were both quietly up into the top 10, uh, you know, as the race progressed, especially Elio coming back from uh, 27th spot. You know, a lot of focus was on him, of course, drive going for the uh, drive for five there. And uh, Elio ends up finishing in seventh, so seven or six spots short of uh, where he wanted to finish uh, in this race uh, to get that fifth win. Uh, but still a pretty impressive run to go, uh, you know, finish 20 spots above where you started and especially the way that this race is going. And you talk about like turn two, of course, the hot day in Indianapolis and a lot of wind. And, you know, usually um, turn two is uh, the the trouble spot. You know, we've seen in the past where drivers lose it off of that corner and uh, ended up being the case uh, today or on on Sunday uh, with a lot of the, the crashes happening off that corner, just drivers just losing it and, you know, hitting the wall and, you know, uh, like Jimmy Johnson, like Renus VK, um, Scott McLaughlin also lost it, although he lost it in turn three and then had probably the worst crash of them all. Uh, pretty heavy impact there. Uh, so, you know, we're uh, hopefully, you know, he's okay and everything after that heavy impact. But, you know, still um, a lot of the accidents off turn two. And um, so it's a hard corner to, to, you know, master there. That's uh, always been kind of the trouble spot, I think. Uh, turn two and I think turn four. Uh, is probably the hardest two corners to to master, um, you know, especially with the directional changes and the um, construction of everything with uh, the suites and then the grandstands and turn four uh, there. But you know, overall, the Carpenter cars, um, you know, Connor Daly, of course, uh, 
at one point, I think Scott Dixon was wanting to save fuel and then let uh, Connor Daly go, and you know, crowd was going wild for him. Uh, of course, Indiana native, uh, you know, local native. You know, he, um, people want him to win, and you know, he had a had a good pace, but uh, just didn't you know, just didn't have enough to you know, really, uh, really get up there uh, when it. I guess when it counted. And then you know you mentioned Rossi. Rossi also qualified poorly, and he was able to slowly make his way up there. And I thought maybe he might make one of his you know late charges, kind of similar you know to 2019 and 2018, where he was able to kind of zip his way through the field and make moves, but uh, just didn't have quite the pace needed to get up into the um, you know the top uh, part of the you know top five. Obviously, he got up to fifth, sixth place, but you know wasn't able to make much headway after that. Um, and of course, um, the field got uh, spread out on the last uh, green flag pit stop uh, before you know the final uh, yellow. And you know, of course, the field was spread out pretty thin. And we thought you know Marcus Erickson had it in the bag. And of course, teammate Jimmy Johnson goes and crashes. And um, I mean, I guess you know we talked about Jimmy's coming for, over from NASCAR, and you know we think he's going to be able to compete in everything. But you know, IndyCar goes and kind of does a little bit of uh, imitation by NASCAR trying to um, get a green flag finish there and, and throwing the red flag. And, you know, we've seen in the past where caution with uh, that many laps to go in an IndyCar race, they don't end up restarting it. Um, obviously, it takes a, a long time to, you know, pick up the, the mess from these crashes with the carbon fiber pieces and everything kind of projectiling all over the track whenever you crash. And it's a big cleanup, but... Um, I guess on one hand, give credit to IndyCar for, you know, wanting to give everybody a green finish, uh, first race back from COVID, of course, and exciting finish and everything. But then on the other hand, um, it does open the door into the future, I guess, for um, potential more, I want to say, I don't want to say manipulation, but, you know, I guess influencing the finishes and you know artificially inducing a, a close finish but at the same time i mean i don't think they'll ever like stoop to the level that you know nascar has done with green white checkers and uh stage racing and points like that i think the way that they have it set up is fine and you know certainly acceptable because it was still pretty good finish and the same driver that would have won had the caution uh, stayed yellow for that period which was marcus erickson at least the same driver came out and won and we was we were able to see him defend uh, the position. Um, you know, you can argue uh, Marcus Erickson going below the pit commit line, coming to uh, the the white flag. Uh, you could argue maybe that was a little out of hand there, and maybe deserved a penalty uh, for that. But you know, he's able to still defend his position, and you know, definitely, you know, kind of takes cues from. Uh, Simon Pagano back in 2019 when he was weaving all over the track trying to defend Rossi uh, in that race. So kind of a similar finish here or there, uh, but you know definitely a great finish uh, that we saw uh, regardless. And it was definitely a really entertaining race with a lot of lead changes like we saw going into turn one, going into turn three. Um, and we were able to see a lot of uh, passing in, in those uh, two corners. So uh, great Indianapolis 500. And, um, you know, it's, it's a it's a hard race to win, like we saw with Scott Dixon. Um, and, you know, if you make a mistake, you have to make it at the beginning of the race and be able to have time to recover. It's, you know, especially, you know, even with Scott Dixon having a great race car, a dominant race car like that, it's so hard to uh, recover from a mistake. Uh, passing's at a premium. Yellow flags are at a premium. So, you know, unlike uh, Kyle Larson in the NASCAR race, of course, they had a long time to be able to come back and 
um, get, you know, put themselves in position to win, you know, in, in this, in this race, um, it's very hard to be able to put yourself in position to win after making a mistake like that. And, uh, Scott Dixon, um, just one mistake and that cost him the race and he was perfect everywhere else. And then, you know, as soon as you saw the smoke, when he went on the pit in the last lap or on the last pit stop, um, you knew that there was a mistake there. And then of course they nailed him for speeding on pit road. So definitely, a you know, definitely a mistake there that he wants back and we'll have to see what kind of driver, um, like you said, uh, Scott Dixon comes out. I mean, he's always going to be the ice man, but of course maybe the ice was beginning to melt there a little bit, um, cracking under pressure, trying to get his second Indy 500, but we'll see what kind of driver he is coming out of that mistake. And if he goes on a tear, tries to win the championship, uh, later in the year, we'll have to see. Yeah. I think that's where we have to see what happens with him. The response he has after such a rare mistake. The Penske guys, too. Uh, how do they respond? Not winning at their boss's house. Um, New Garden yet again. Um, now it's, I don't know, how many, I have to think it's like 10 years. Uh, 10 or 11 starts for him at Indianapolis. Still hasn't won the Indy 500. Um, it's got to be grinding on him. You know, knowing he drives for Penske and he hasn't been able to win the one that matters most to him. Um, it shows how tough of a race it is to win when Scott Dixon's only won it once. Um, you know, and that's where it's like once you get past once you get past one win and you get into like two time winners or three and four, like that's where you get to it means so much more how those drivers are held in such high regard. I mean, the fact is Scott Dixon is still going to be held in high regard, even though he had that error. Um, but we definitely will see what happens with that. I mean, glad in regards to the accidents we're talking about that Jimmy Johnson's wreck was like similar to Jeff Andretti's crash in 1992 and Mario Andretti's crash in the race itself. Then you had like Nelson PK, but the difference is of course you have safer barriers, the technology that they've moved the drivers back further that's also helped, and um, those two things are why Jimmy Johnson got out of the car. Um, the other crashes, the rear end collisions for, or rear rear collisions for, uh, what's it called, uh, Renus VK and Callum Eilat and Roman Grosjean, um, all I think were because of the wind you're talking about in regards to how those turn the turn is and the turn in and how you have to adjust that relative to other the other turns and then Scott McLaughlin's wreck was a double wreck because he had the one hit and then had couldn't break any slow himself down and had a second hit and those are usually really bad but um, he was uh, able to get out so that was good Um, though um, for all those teams that got wrecked there not a very amount a long amount of time they'll have to be at Detroit this weekend uh, to get back to racing before they have a break, so they'll have to respond quickly. Going into Formula One, this uh, past weekend was, of course, the Monaco Grand Prix, and Sergio Perez comes through with the victory. Um, His, what, third career win or fourth career win, what they said. Um, Yeah, it was third career win. So another guy who has a third career win, and, of course, the biggest one of his career, and... Uh, Red Bull, they didn't have the ultimate pace of Ferrari, I think, in one lap or maybe even in race, but they had better strategy. 
and they were able to go and win what was generally, for the first hour and 10 minutes, was a cluster by the FIA and their poor handling of the weather situation and how to start the race. They should have probably started the damn thing and let the teams dictate what happened instead of waiting on weather or hoping weather would clear or whatever. And then the leader lack of clarity between the the stewards and what they wanted to do. We talked about it on Grid Talk. It made no sense. Uh, if the fans don't know and the media doesn't know and you have the freaking people that are announcing the racing, why are we sitting here? Why don't we just race? I think it's a fundamental problem. But for Sergio Perez, it doesn't really matter. He has the victory. Um, Carlos Sainz finished second. Max Verstappen finished third. And Charlie Claire finished fourth. And it's probably still not happy about how that took place. Um, ends up um, losing more points, as I said, to um, to the uh, to Max Verstappen. So that's not great. Uh, the win uh, was it Sergio Perez won by 1.154 seconds over Carlos Sainz. 64 laps. Uh, they're scheduled for 78. Of course, they took a lap off, but then there was a time limit. So based on the time limit, the two-hour time limit, they only finished 64 laps yesterday, which was enough to get the three quarters of the race done to give out full points. George Russell finished fifth, but uh, almost got passed by his uh, BFF, one of his BFFs, Lando, who was on new tires. Um, Fernando Alonso held up the entire field, and basically then once he was like, oh, I I can go now, um, went and uh, went away by four seconds over Lewis Hamilton. Valtteri Botas ninth, Sebastian Vettel tenth. Pierre Gasly, I gave him a tie for driver of the day because the fact is his team screwed him over on on Saturday in qualifying. If they had allowed him to go out ahead of Yuki Tsunoda, he probably would have been in the top five or six, and that could have been, a, considering how fast he was and some of the overtakes he made during that race yesterday, he could have been a player in the race yesterday, possibly, you know, not, I mean, maybe not to win, but to get a top five or a top six finish, um, you know, through the rest of those, yeah, Albon had to retire. Mick Schumacher had a huge wreck, um, and his car split uh, at the swimming pool complex. And then Kevin Magnuson had a engine issue. So yeah, Checo wins. Red Bull has better strategy. FI Ferrari doesn't. And Charles Leclerc loses more ground to, Verstappen, and then you add FIA's inability to run a race and looking more like NASCAR than um, a proper uh, motorsport entity. Yeah, it was a pretty interesting decision by Ferrari with uh, with how they decided to pit. Um, they left him out for two laps, uh, thinking that they you know can maintain the gap, I guess, to the Red Bulls and uh, Sergio Perez, but then. Um, you know, they left him out there on a slower tire, uh, or not as a quick tire with the, you know, the intermediates. And then, uh, Perez, uh, you know, switched, uh, switched back to the regular tire and made, made enough time, uh, and, you know, was able to make up the gap significantly. And then that, you know, cost them the race. And, um, you know, there was times when, uh, we thought that maybe Carlos Sainz would get around 
uh, Sergio Perez, but uh, ultimately he was never able uh, to do that. And you could kind of see, still see the um, pace difference, especially when they were driving through the tunnel going into the chicane uh, at Monaco. You would think that um, as close as what uh, Carlos Sainz was able to to get to to Sergio Perez, he was going to be able to pass him. But you know, he could get only get up to right up to the gearbox basically, and uh, could never um, muscle his way uh, around him there. Um, even with the, the tire difference, you could see the tire wear uh, when they zoomed in on the cameras onto um, uh, onto Sergio Perez's tires. You could see the uneven wear on the tires, but even then, uh, without that, still able to pull off the win, uh, which shows the, the speed and the pace of the Red Bull car, uh, especially on, on this track compared to uh, the Ferraris. But um, the the Ferraris uh, once again, you know, they they threw it away, uh, which might be becoming a, a theme now with uh, Ferrari this season. They've already thrown away a couple of races, and now once again they've uh, thrown away this race, and you know possibly the biggest win of both Carlos Sainz, who's never won uh, in Formula One, or uh, Charles Leclerc, who's never won this race, and certainly this is probably the race that he would want to win because you know not only one is it you know the crown jewel of formula one races but also he's from monaco and so you know when you win at your home track um uh, place he grew up in it's uh very special and everything so that's a huge loss for leclerc there and now uh leclerc has lost the points lead to verstappen albeit not by much but still he's lost the points lead and uh now um has to be able to they've, they've got to figure out a way to get the points lead back uh and get back in front of the driver's championship because uh, if you know they keep continuing these mistakes, the championship's going to get away from them. And this also welcomes uh, Sergio Perez, in, at least for now, into the championship conversation. So we're going to see, you know, if Red Bull can get both of their drivers an opportunity to uh, finish in, uh, you know, one-two in the point standings at the end of the year, and you know, have two drivers possibly competing for the championship, which should be interesting to see with you know teammates and. Uh, the decision making in politics that go uh, with uh, deciding which teammate gets the, to have the most success on the day uh, on any race. But um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I mean, the race wasn't, you know, all that compelling other than that. But, you know, of course, it is Monaco with, uh, you know, how close things can get, but you still aren't able to make a pass. I mean, we saw at the end of the race, you know, before. Uh, the last caution or the last yellow with uh, Schumacher, where you could literally throw a, a blanket between all four of those cars um, uh, at you know parts of that racetrack, and um, but never never could any of them uh, jump uh, position, especially the Ferraris uh, couldn't jump position on either Verstappen or on uh, Sergio Perez. So uh, you know Perez able to get the biggest win of his career, and you know now we get to. Uh, see what uh, Ferrari ha has to do in response to um, Red Bull as we go the rest of the way, especially next week at Baku, or in two weeks at Baku, which is a pretty high-speed racetrack, and we're going to see what the pace difference really is like between the uh, the Ferraris and the Red Bulls there. Yeah, I'm just reading on the article on motorsport.com about Ferrari and the errors and where they came from, how they came, and trying to do a full investigation. It's just, well, it's Ferrari. Um, I mean, if I'm Charles Leclerc, I would be livid to say the least when it's your, when, what, I mean, like you said, Josh, like it's his home Grand Prix. It's, he's never finished the race. He's never finished in any form 
or car that he's driven there finally finishes. You had the car that probably should have won the race and you finished fourth. And, you know, there's 15 points between the top three now. Verstappen has uh, three wins this year or four wins this year, three in a row. That was the first time he hadn't won since Australia. And uh, he also won the uh, sprint race, I think, too. That's why those points, yeah. So he had won four consecutive rounds or whatever, if you want to really get that deep. Uh, He has a nine-point lead on Charles Leclerc. Sergio Perez in a regular race uh, signs of gets his second of the season. He's had four podes. Who's had two DNFs? Um, they have to do world championship, both world championships because um, the constructors. So we'll get into the Coca Cola 600, which was a really, really good. And uh, but Denny Hamlin. Okay. Yeah. So we had uh, Denny Hamlin go and. He's won all the big races. He's, he's, I think he's won the Super Slam, if we were really getting into it, uh, in regards to what he's won at Bristol. He's won basically everywhere. Uh, he's just now he's trying to get to 50 wins uh, past Tony, um, which is his next target there at 49 wins, and then 50 wins to join uh, legends in and Hall of Famers and Ned Jarrett Jr. Johnson and Rusty Wallace. So that'll be his next goal. And then, of course, the championship is what's on his her next uh, horizon, I guess, because he's in. Uh, still 11 winners so far this year. Two guys that are outside of the top, you know, top 20 in points if they if they didn't have the win. Briscoe finishes uh, fourth yesterday. Uh, biggest, uh, best run he's had in a while. He'd be he'd be outside of the playoff if it weren't for his win either. So there you go. So there's three guys that are outside points wise. The actual cutoff uh, situation has Tyler Reddick up by eight points over Eric Almirola, Austin Dillon is 18th. Eric Jones is seven points behind Austin Dillon, 21 behind Almirola, and um, Daniel Suarez is in 20th. But you look at Reddick, Suarez, the way they've run this year, and even to an extent, Eric Jones and Austin Dillon, they all could be drivers that could possibly win. Uh, Brian Blaney is the best driver, hadn't won a race this year. He's, what is it, fourth in points. He's going to win uh, more than likely. Uh, Truex is up there points wise. So. Those guys are pretty good. I think if it gets kind of crazy, those two guys are probably going to make it in. Um, Bell is the first person I think that kind of has to worry. Uh, Kevin Harvick would be in that too, but um, we'll find out. An opportunity this coming weekend at a brand new track for the Cup Series. Um, What will happen there at Gateway with this car since it hasn't exactly been uh, great um, on flatter racetracks, um, what will they do? How will it, how will it work out? Uh, something we will see, uh, covered up. So yeah, the, um, I mean, we, the other thing, I guess, I mean, there's two other things. I mean, the, the track house cars yet again, I mean, I think it's been a common theme for us. We've talked about it here on the show where they've been running fast all year 
and uh, they proved it once again, led 200, probably around 240 laps. Um, both of them had a chance to win, which is a positive for sure, and it shows what this next-gen car has brought to the table for them, and I think even to a lesser extent than them is RCR, because they brought them back into the fold. It hasn't helped Ford all that much, though you could say Michael McDowell actually got a top 10 finish, which it's Michael McDowell, so how the hell did that happen? But, you know, he wouldn't be doing that on, on any track other than a super speedway, so there there is that. Um, you know, the some of the other people there having a chance. I think the one issue there was with that flip for, for Busher and how long it took them to get the car. Yeah. That was a long time. Yeah, that's not good, especially if it was on fire. Uh, There's been issues with that before. Austin Dillon, of course, hitting the catch fence at the five in the uh, Coke Zero 400 a few years ago and ripping the whole car apart. They flipped it over and he was able to get out or whatever. I think they flipped. I don't know, but they had pit crew run out and help him out and and they turned him over. Uh, That's something that has to be looked into. But. I mean, otherwise, racing itself was good. A lot of drivers were up there. As you mentioned, lead changes aplenty. Um, it's a positive, you know, considering what cookie-cutter racing had become and the sheer amount of them to where we are now. I think it shows that this car and with this, hopefully they'd give them more horsepower. I wish they would. Um, that would be even better. Um, but, but then I don't think Badger can make a good enough tire for that, but that's beside the point. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the uh, Chris Buescher flip there, and yeah, it was definitely a, a long time that they had to wait, and you have to wonder, I mean, yeah, if the car was on fire or something like that, I feel like obviously that does warrant you know an emergency situation where they would definitely have to respond quickly, and um, you, know, you mentioned Austin Dillon and his crash many years ago at Daytona. And I mean, that was before, you know, when they had the old safety crews and now they have kind of this mixed match safety crew between AMR safety team, uh, which I guess is, you know, the same people who do the IndyCar stuff and some track personnel uh, that the, uh, the tracks hire. And um, I don't, I don't know exactly the specifics of it, but yeah, this, this response was definitely um, unwarranted and um, should definitely be a lot quicker than that um and i mean uh, i guess maybe the other thing is because like he immediately uh, was able to lower the window net down which is you know the general signal that he's okay uh and everything so the fact that i mean he was okay and everything is good but it's just like it takes a long time to get out and i guess you know even in an upside down car it's still you know pretty hard to get unbuckled and everything and uh the we've seen the past drivers been able to uh unbuckle themselves in an upside down car i think uh ryan newman 20 or 2003 with his flips that he had in daytona and everything being able to get out of an upside down car but you know still it's a it's a tough deal to get out of and um you know when you are stuck like that and you're upside down for several minutes you know um it does bring a lot of anxiety and being able to um get released so um it took too long and then um then they had to basically flip the car back over for him to uh to to get out and even that uh took very long w- with uh the process they had with the the truck and the uh 
the tow truck trying to um, use the I don't I don't know what the device is, but you know they were able to turn the car over. And I mean, granted, they did it you know fairly safely, and it's you know you de definitely don't want to do that uh, too fast uh, because obviously you could hurt somebody doing that. But um, yeah, the response has to be a lot quicker than that. But yeah, that was um, something that's going to be looked at, I'm sure. And then you know you mentioned trackhouse racing continue to dominate, and yeah, they've dominated this race and. They might be the team to beat on these mile and a half tracks now and maybe even on on uh, road courses so we'll have to see uh coming forward uh what happens uh, you know suarez continued to have uh, bad luck of course getting taken out which obviously led to the uh crash with C uh, chris busher you know flipping over and you'll have to see if um they can recover from that and you know suarez uh definitely has a car that he can uh, win with now uh, so you know I think it's a matter of time uh, for him to be able to get a win here in the cup series finally and of course Chastain uh, low-key might be the best driver in the in the cup series right now um, definitely him or uh, William Byron based on how statistics have worked out and Chastain's uh, done a really uh, great job of this year and I don't think any of us could have seen that coming so uh, you know, the track house, definitely whatever they figured out over the off season, it's, uh, worked out. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, the parody of this, this car has helped. And then, you know, also they've continued to improve their game and, you know, they've gone from, you know, where they were at the beginning of the year, they didn't close and granted this race, they didn't close either, but, um, they've, you, you can see the progress and just the amount of, the amount of laps that they were able to lead tonight or on, on Sunday that, um, shows a lot of the progress they made on their program even this year and uh we're going to continue to see that threat uh the rest of the year so yeah i think both of them can make the uh playoffs later in the year and uh should be a fun battle when uh, we get to that point yeah i figure it'll be interesting it'll be more interesting than it has been in recent years getting in at least the first couple of rounds i hope uh, they have enough cars in there you have more than half the field and uh, basically you basically have half the field in the playoff um you know all the chartered cars are big yeah in that sense too essentially half the chartered cars that'll make the playoffs uh before uh we get into the um roundup i just had to put this in here because obviously the xfinity race took place after we did our show episode 116 so let's go and hit that here briefly josh barry um, gets another win uh, second win of the season uh, fourth of his career led one stage one second in stage two that was a, dominated in a sense by the uh, junior motorsports guys uh, him and justin allgaier Two best cars battled for a lot of the day, uh, but Josh Berry gets another victory, solidifies himself as a title favorite, and uh, Sam Mayer qualified on his first career pole. So there is that. Um, Gagson gave three out of the top four cars for Junior Motorsports and four out of the top seven. And the only people that weren't in those cars was Ty Gibbs, who started tailback, uh, you had uh, Ryan Priest driving for B.J. McLeod's team in a Stuart Haas prepared number five. And then Daniel Hemrick, who finished sixth, which is one of his best runs he's had all year. Sheldon Creed had a great run for himself, considering what his years look like. Trevor Bain 
and Myatt Snyder coming from the back to finish in the top 10. Gagson finished fourth, but got an argy-bargy with Jeb Burton. And then, of course, Noah Gagson's uh, fan base went after Jeb Burton uh, because that's what they're about, same way as Carson Osovar's fan base went after Ryan Priest after the end of that truck series race. But, um, yeah, I mean, Allmendinger got stage points, but struggled. Brockshot Jones got stage points in stage one. Uh, Brett Moffitt got two points from the stages and finished 11. So really what you see is what you get in regards to the results there in the Xfinity race. Pretty clean, nothing, only eight cautions. Uh, Two of them were the stage cautions, so six for actual incidents. Um, Timmy Hill had actually qualified well, but then wrecked, cut a tire early and finished dead last, unfortunately. Um, We talked about that on Twitter, but yeah, so it was a pretty straightforward race. Uh, The the junior motorsports guys basically had a lock on this race and it shows their the development of junior motorsports where this team is kind of looking like the dominant effort and it's probably a bad sign for the likes of you know college racing or gibbs or or whoever else would be in this playoff that junior motorsports seems to be so strong but i think for josh berry and what dale jr wants I don't think it's such a bad thing, Josh. No, it's not. I mean, Junior Motorsports continued to dominate. And, you know what I mean? I did not catch uh, a lot of this race, but, you know, I did catch the end of it. And I tuned in at the yeah, right me time. Neither. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's sometimes, you know, Saturday's busy and everything. But, you know, the Xfinity, I tuned in at the right time. Uh, they, uh, with Justin Algar chasing down uh, Josh Berry and then trying to get around him. And then he got around him and then Josh Berry passed him back a couple laps later and then uh, Justin Algar was able to try to get around him but then he hit the wall and then tried to get back up to uh, Josh Berry and then he did but then uh, Berry got around him and then Josh Berry uh, ended up winning the race and Justin Algar uh, hit the wall a little bit too much a little too hard and uh, you know you're able to see uh, Josh Berry come away with the win so it was a it was an interesting uh, finish there and definitely kind of a preview for the Cup Series uh, with what we ended up seeing on Sunday, how that the racing itself transpired. So um, I, whatever they did to the Charlotte track this weekend, people are saying don't touch it. And I would agree with that, although, you know, I feel like we need another sample size, which, you know, normally would be the fall Charlotte race, but then they moved it because it sucked to the Roval. So, you know, I guess we're going to have to find out in a a year from now unless they decide to make an executive decision and take away the Roval race, which I'd honestly be okay with if they went back to the Oval, if it raced like how it raced uh, this past weekend. So um, it was a good battle uh, between Justin Algar and Josh Berry and uh, Josh Berry coming away with the win here and uh, could, you know, put himself in position to uh, be a title contender and it's another victory for him. So, uh Junior Motorsports, yeah, continue to dominate with all their cars uh, finishing fairly well, even with Justin Algar um, ended up finishing a lap down, but still, I think he still came away with a, a top 10, just one, the first car lap down. So uh, overall, yeah, great race from that team. So um, we're going to we're gonna see how the battle shapes up throughout the rest of the year. It seems like, you know, the Joe Gibbs car is tied to uh, Gibbs, seems to have uh, gone a little quiet right now. So we'll see if they come back uh, later on in the year. But, you know, right now, Xfinity uh, definitely looking like the junior motorsports playground. 
And there's nothing wrong with that, honestly. I think the commitment that they have in Hendrick Motorsports help doesn't, uh, it probably hasn't hurt them in any way. I mean, they're, and after this week, there's, they're going to have an, a well-earned break. So the momentum there, they're probably utilizing that momentum in their favor. Um, when you look back outside of Tyler Reddick's win at Texas, uh, the junior motorsports team has won the last four or what four out of the last five races so that that was prior and before that the uh the joe gibbs racing team was up there so it's uh it's uh, i mean it's momentum is there you want to ride it out and uh they have it going right now uh, the uh you know gibbs has still has the most wins this year three um Josh Berry is tied with Gagson with two. So they're second um, in terms of playoff points. Gibbs is first with Gagson second and Berry third. Then uh, Allgaier's fourth. But A.J. Allmendinger has finished top 10 in 12 out of the 13 races this year and has ran at the finish of every race this year. He's the only driver that can say that. Uh, every other driver that is a regular or has run every start has fallen out of at least one race uh, this year. So he has uh, Almeninger has a 33 point lead in the overall standings, which uh, if he wins the regular season, that's 15 playoff points. Uh, but, you know, going into this weekend's race at Portland International Raceway, a racetrack he's won at in multiple race cars i think it's an opportunity for him and i would also look at it as an opportunity for the likes of um daniel hemrick to a lesser extent even though he's not a great road racer but you know uh, likely uh, you know when you're looking at the point standings and what do you need to do to try to lock yourself in um alfredo sheldon creed is a good road racer uh Moffitt at times has shown road racing prowess back in his truck series days. Jeremy Clements, Alex LeBay will be there, I'm sure. So those are some wild card people. Of course, LeBay is not even hasn't won every race, so unfortunately he wouldn't get a waiver. But um, I think for Sheldon Creed coming off of a great run at Charlotte this past weekend, if he can go out there and win um, and basically flip the script on his season to get himself into the playoff uh, since Austin Hill, his teammate, is in the playoff. Um, that would be huge for him. All right, so let's get into the roundup. Uh, last week saw the uh, Formula 2 series race at Monaco, and uh, it continued the trend of Felipe Drogovic and what he's been able to do so far this year in domination and all he's going to get out of that is he's not going to get a formula one ride but um he won in race two he won the 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 long race there the sprint race didn't go as well for him he ended up falling out but he won one out of two he still got plenty of points uh dennis hauger uh beats jan deruvula his teammate and then marcus armstrong finishes third Enzo Vitipaldi and Yuri Vips round out the top five. So Premov one two, high tech three five. Logan Sargent finished tenth in the race one 
trying to go through anybody else. I don't even know. And then in race two, Drogovic beats Teo Pocher, who qualified on pole there last year in um, F2. Uh, Yuri Vips finished third. Jack Dewan fourth. Enzo Fittipaldi fifth. Armstrong, Hauger, Deruvula, Sargent, Marino, Sato, uh, round out your top 10. So Drogovic is now uh, leading by 31 points over Teo Pocher. You know, the points, and then after that, it's really uh, pretty much run. Uh, it's 49 points. Or, uh, 50. Yeah. So Jan Deruvula is in third, has a three-point uh, lead on Marcus Armstrong from third to um, Logan Sargent in ninth is 15 points. So actually a pretty good battle for that. So as we go on, they'll be running at Baku here in a couple weeks' time. Uh, so anything can change amongst that group. Um, Daruvala has scored in every race, so is Marcus Armstrong, hence why they're up there. Um, Jack Dewan, Yuri um, Vips have scored in four out of five races. Um, Liam Lawson scored in every race, but only has had one huge points haul, and that was at uh, uh, Bahrain. So we will see what happens with that um, next time out in uh, Baku. The uh, next race, um, next thing we'll go into is MotoGP and Moto2 for their Series A ran, of course, at um, in uh, Mugello this past weekend. So that was a good race for Pecco Bagnaia, home race for him, home race for Ducati, gets the win, uh, close battle with defending world champion Fabio Quattararo, who looks like he's going to be staying with the Yamaha team since uh, they're only going to have two bikes. So there might be more commitment to actually making him better. Ali Chespargaro uh, rounds out the podium uh, for Aprilia, Johan Zarco, and then the two uh, VR46 Ducatis who both qualified on the front row, Marco Basecki and Luca Marini, along with Fabio Antonio, who qualified on pole um, this past weekend. So that was an interesting front row there. Three customer Ducatis, all year-old bikes, all on the front row. Uh, Brad Binder, Takanakagami, Miguel Oliveira, who looks to be getting demoted, um, and Mark Marquez, round out your top ten, going through all the rest of the field. So they'll be racing at Catalonia this weekend. The standings going into the race this coming weekend. Quattararo has an eight-point lead on Espargaro. Quattararo and Espargaro both have a win apiece, but Quattararo has three second-place finishes and a fourth, while Espargaro has the one win and four consecutive third-place finishes. Uh, which is why that gap is the way it is. Enea Bastaini, um has three wins on the season, so winningest rider so far in 2022, but has two um, crashes, non-points finishes, which leave him uh, 28 points behind in third. Pekko Begnaya is fourth 
two wins in his last three races. So he has a lot of ground to make up there. Uh, he's 41 points back uh, in fourth. Johan Zarco is in fifth. Moto2 mentioned earlier in uh, Mugello saw Augusto Fernandez win um, to break the record. Uh, for, yeah, Augusto Fernandez, I thought it was, yeah. Um, his teammate also is up there too, Jorge Navarro, yeah. Augusto Fernandez sets a record. Pullman Pedro, that's what I thought, it was Pedro Acosta. Yeah, Bruno 3 champion, crash going through, yeah. Fernandez, fourth career victory and first since 2019. Why do I, oh no, it's the wrong, okay, that helps. So I'm like, yeah, there you go. I don't know what's, uh, I'm like, why Why am I reading Augusto Fernandez? Because I know it's not Augusto Fernandez who won this last race, but they don't have the, they don't have the results for the race from yesterday. Wow, that's cute. Good job. Thank you for that. I can go to MotoGP and go on their website. That's why it was confusing me because I'm like, and they have a brand new sponsor there on the Pramac team. So it's great. And different color scheme now. Um, riders and teams go to that's not what I want. MotoGP. There I go. Yeah, MotoGP. I apologize for that right there and be with the little pygmies in New Guinea, man. Um, yeah, their website, the MotoGP website, isn't great to work around either. So um, we got to MotoGP and then race results, MotoGP, Moto2. There you go. So that's where the confusion lies. We finally got that. Um, Pedro Acosta gets his first career Moto2 win, youngest rider ever to win in Moto2, breaking the mark set by Mark Marquez. Joe Roberts finished second, Ayogura third, Tony Arbolino, Augusto Fernandez ran out of top five. Uh, Cameron Bobier finishes seventh. So a good day for him, continuing the good positive momentum he's had here in recent rounds. Um, trying to get through, see the rest of them. Sean Dylan Kelly uh, finished uh, just a tenth of a second off of Kubo, um, the VR46, one of the VR46 riders from Thailand. So there is that last finisher. Everybody else... Uh, crashed out of the race behind him, including Chantra, who has um, either crashes or finishes on the podium. Um, in Moto2 point standings, Celestino Vietti is now tied for the points lead with Ayagura. Um, Aaron Kinnett third, Joe Roberts is four, three points behind Kinnett. Um, it's a good battle between Kinnett, Roberts, Arbolino, and Augusto Fernandez, nine points between the four of them. And in uh, Cameron Bobier is 13th in points, uh, seven points out of 10th, um, after which Acosta, with his 25-point haul, uh, jumped all the way up to 10th um, after this race. So be something to look at as we go along. Um, Sean Dylan Kelly has scored points. This year, he scored three points earlier in the season, so he doesn't. So it's not that he isn't 
hasn't had uh, opportunity to score points yet. He's ahead of former MotoGP rider Simona Corsi um, and Mattia Piscini, who doesn't have a job anymore. So that's interesting. Um, Kubo and Kelly are only a point behind each other. If Sean Dillon Kelly can kind of get a good run here coming up, he could move himself way up the ladder um, here this coming weekend at uh, Catalonia. Uh, the next one to go into is um, IMSA at Detroit. As mentioned earlier, they will have the um, DPI and GTD um, GTD uh, field uh, for this weekend's Chevy Detroit Grand Prix. Um, just get through that part right over there. Move through all that. So yeah, 16 car field. The six DPIs and one and ten GTD cars. So the usual suspects. Uh, the Conic Minolta Acura team's uh, been on a roll. So let's see if Ricky Taylor, Philippe Albuquerque can continue that. Uh, Detroit has generally been a Cadillac circuit. It is a GM-sponsored event. So wouldn't be surprised if either of the Ganassi Cadillacs or the Wheel and Engineering car or even the JDC Miller car stands out there. Um, in terms of GT Daytona, 10-car field, uh, Sellers and Snow and the Paul Miller Racing BMW, Frankie Montecalvo and Aaron Tielitz, and one of the Vassar Sol- in the GTD Vassar Solvent car, Ryan Hardwick, Jan Halen, Bright Motorsports Porsche, Jack Hawksworth has been ruled out. Um, he had a accident, uh, so or he has... A illness one or the other um so he's out um it's they think it sounds like richard highstand is going to be um taking over for him in the um in the uh, 16 car or 17 yeah. car that's what i heard too yeah so um trying to go and look that up they don't have that okay there you go um why is it yeah there we go that's still not it i saw it somewhere it's probably over here i'll probably go and do that so uh, sports car imsa track house click and host one what interesting um yeah i swear that uh i saw that about uh about the one um a second vassar solvent car but the harder racing Aston with Roman DeAngelis, Ross Gunn, Mike Skeen will be back after having to miss Laguna with because of COVID, and Stephen McAleer in the Corthoff Mercedes, Robert McGinnis, Jeff Westfall, Carbon, Lamborghini, Ryan Eversley, and Aiden Reed in the Rick Ware Racing Acura, the Windward Racing Mercedes of Russell Ward and Philip Ellison, of course, the Turner Motorsport BMW of Robbie Foley and Bill Oberlin. Uh, the 60 car and one Rolex, the uh, 10 cars won a couple times this year. Both uh, Ganassi Cadillacs have won so far this year in uh, the IMSA WeatherTech Series. So, I mean, uh, the point standings right now, in um, the point standings in in 2022 for the other tech sports car championship of course it's lmp3 they're showing they can't even bring it up oh that's awesome so i guess we'll find out on nbc this coming weekend uh, they'll be on saturday afternoon 
on uh, USA and on uh, Peacock, and then the IndyCar race will be on Sunday on USA and Peacock. The Formula E will run in Indonesia for the first time, uh, getting into the Formula E series, getting to the points, getting into Formula Open Batteries, custom bodywork for Gen 4. Hmm. Okay, that'd be nice. Uh, standings going into this weekend's event. See Stoffel Van Dorn up by 12 points over Eduardo Mortara. Jean-Eric Verne is a further four points back in third. Mitch Evans, Robin Frines make up the top five. Defending world champion Nick DeVries coming off of his first win of the year, or second win of the year, um, is sixth in points. Uh, 35 and 46 points out. So there's still time, uh, but uh, he's going to have to make a move here quickly. There's only, what is it, uh, eight rounds to go in the season. So um, looking at Oliver Askew hasn't scored a point since the second round in Italy. So um, hopefully he can turn it around there, uh, the American representation here in Formula E. And then Rally uh, WRC, uh, it'll be in Italy. The uh, standings right now of Cali Rovampera, who has won three consecutive rallies um, up by 46 points on Thierry Neuville. Takamoto Katsuda is well back in third. The battle between Katsuda and going all the way down to Craig Breen, who are all running for Altanek, Efren Evans, is four points. Um, Sebastian Loeb ran the last race uh, in Portugal, but fell out. Ogier also didn't score points. He got he had to um, he ended up having to go to rally two regulations or whatever. Um, and uh, he also wasn't able to do anything there. So that is that in regards to rallying. And we'll get into other racing series as they are go as they go accordingly. Um, let's get into Detroit. I mean, how do you go and or go from the Indianapolis 500 to the Detroit Grand Prix? Well, they do it all the time now. So um, I guess the initial question is. Um, who it goes back to after Indy having to have the month of May at Indy you're getting to this next part of the season Josh who has to go and respond here um, getting into now that the biggest uh, part in biggest race of the year is gone the mo the biggest points that you're going to be able to earn is out um, after this they're going to be racing they have Road America the following week uh, so you have you have Detroit Road America, and then they have a few week break before Mid Ohio. Then um, time for Toronto, a doubleheader at Iowa, which will lead into Indy uh, Second Indy Grand Prix. Um, so the the season kind of starts moving here. Uh, three consecutive weeks of racing, and then a break. Uh, this is a time, I guess. Uh, for the people who have uh, gotten their their place in the points, which Erickson, of course, uh, put himself in a 
position to take over the points lead. Uh, can he go and double up? Can he go and get another win at Detroit? Or can Pato Award, who's second in points, go and match his win in the Detroit doubleheader from last year um, and possibly go and take the points lead? Uh, or is it going to be somebody else? Who are you looking at? Um, is it somebody that didn't have a great month that could go and come around and do what they have to do um, to get back in the points? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you have to start off with Marcus Erickson because, well, I mean, he won uh, part of the weekend last year at Detroit. Um, of course, he benefited from Will Powers' thing, like we mentioned earlier in the show. But, I mean, he was obviously up there uh, in position to take advantage of that opportunity when um, that happened last year. So right off the bat, you have to see if Marcus Erickson can follow up the Indy 500 win with a, uh, basically defending um, his Detroit win from last year. So um, it's definitely possible there. And, you know, if any driver is able to win both races, which we've seen happen before in 2017 with uh, Graham Ray Hall winning uh, in Detroit, uh, or it may have been 2016, but when, you know, he won it, did, uh, two Detroit races and it basically allowed him uh, essentially a, another double points event, kind of like the Indy 500 and you're basically able to leapfrog, uh, in the standings if possible. So, you know, if a guy like Marcus Erickson was to, in theory, go out and win both races at Detroit, well, he's substantially added to his, uh, points lead, uh, over Pato Award and, you know, for Pato Award, you know, he was in position last year, uh, to win the race as well. Uh, so, you know, Award last year, um, didn't even lead until the very end, of course, you know, he, uh, stole the win from Joseph Newgarden. Um, so it was, you know, definitely a, a great opportunity that he took advantage of, uh, for, uh, Award. So it could happen again. And Award's been, uh, pretty good. Um, you know, didn't start out the year all that great on the, uh, street courses, you know, uh, really poor, uh, or middling finish at St. Petersburg, but, you know, he took a top five at, at Long Beach, uh, you know, and finished, uh, relatively well there, uh, one at, uh, Birmingham road course. So, uh, or at, um, Barber Motorsports Park. So, uh, road course momentum could be on the upswing for a guy like Pat Award and, um, Marcus Erickson as well. So, uh, those two drivers right off the bat, I mean, they can continue to pick up where they left off at the Indianapolis 500. And then, you know, of course, there are guys like uh, Joseph Newgarden who, you know, didn't really have all that great uh, month of May that could um, come back and potentially win uh, the Detroit uh, Grand Prix. Um, guys like, uh, you know, Scott McLaughlin, who uh, started out the year pretty good winning uh, at uh, St. Petersburg. And, you know, he uh, hasn't performed uh, as well since then um you know he's um well he started out the points lead and uh at the beginning of the year through texas and then he's had a couple of hiccups as of late so detroit's a kind of a bounce back opportunity for a guy like scott mclaughlin and his team penske teammate uh joseph newgarden so there's two guys there um I think, you know, another guy that didn't really have a great month of May or at least half of a great month of May was Colton Herta, especially after the way that his Indianapolis 500 uh, went down. You know, he's probably wanting to get back into it onto the, the street courses where he's been uh, so dominant on going back to last year. Um, can he bounce back from that Indy 500 disappointment and 
come out to the Detroit Grand Prix and um, have a you know both excellent set of races on you know race one and race two. So we'll have to see uh, uh, if uh, he can come out with a, a good win there, um, or if, if that's possible. And then you talk about Scott Dixon, who of course um, threw away his Indianapolis 500 with the speeding penalty on his final pit stop. Can he come back from that and you know go on a tear like we've talked about? So a lot of drivers that didn't have that great a month of May who can uh, easily come back um, and potentially, I mean, you have to view this event also as a double points event because there's two races at the same track. And if you're able to, you know, win both of them or, you know, finish uh, well at, uh, on both days, whether you win and take a, a podium or you win both races or something like that, it's an opportunity for basically almost a, a double points uh, event, just like the Indianapolis 500. And you can, you know, if you haven't had a great year, it can uh, swing you right back into the thick of things in championship contention. Or if you're a guy like Marcus Erickson, Pat Award, uh, can you easily separate yourself uh, from the rest of the field uh, in the championship standings? Yeah, this year with Detroit, I think they swapped the. Uh... This is the first time in a few years that um, they're not doing a double because the Iowa race with High V, they're running a double header, three uh, hundred oh, lap. Made that mistake? No, it's all uh, good because I I would have made that mistake too. It throws me off, and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, it's the first time since 2013 oh. that they haven't run uh, 2012 since they haven't run a double header outside of the COVID year. Um, so it's unique in their last race here on Belle Isle. Um, they've been racing on and off at Belle Isle since 1992. And now, um, this is the last time they're going to be racing there, uh, because Penske and company are going to go back to the streets of Detroit. So that'll be cool to see next year, the mean streets of Detroit, um, Indy cars racing there again on a circuit similar to the one that they ran um, in 91 and prior to that and where the Formula One cars ran up until I think 1987 uh, or 88. Yeah, it was 88 and then they ran IndyCar took over in 89, ran three years there before they went to Belle Isle Park. Yeah. Well, forgive me for that mistake, I guess, because I just totally assumed that they were doing the double races they had, you know, done in previous years. But I still feel like most of what I said could apply, though. Well, yeah, no, because the reality is, you're you have to look at this next three race, like Indianapolis set up a three race pod here. You get the double points, but if you can get back, if you have momentum, you carry it through these next three weeks. It's a good stepping stone point towards what could be a championship if you fall off here it's going to be hard to catch back up if you're able to do what you have to do at detroit and then at road america which is a great one of the great legendary circuits in all the world uh you can make this points battle because now the double points are gone uh, i mean minus the double point double race at iowa speedway um, which is a short oval. They don't really run that many short ovals um, in IndyCar anymore. I mean, at this point, we're we're talking about um, you know outside of Indianapolis and Texas, you have the two Iowa races. That's four, and then Gateway. So five uh, that the five oval races uh, this year. So 
Um, the Iowa race, it's first time in a few years they're going to be racing there. So we'll get into that as that time comes. But um, it's a big momentum uh, deal for the top. Anybody who's in the top four in points right now, which is literally 24 points, you're, you really want to do something at Detroit Powers when they're multiple times. Um, Pato and Erickson, of course, come off of winning there last year. Pelot hasn't won there, but um, he's been uber consistent. Uh, 25 and, and 26, yeah, 52 points. So New Garden is just outside of a one-race win um, uh, in uh, fifth place, but he's... He's somebody who probably wants to be able to reset his season. Dixon wants blood after um, a rare mistake. Uh, Colton Herta didn't have a great um, 500 uh, week or so, so he's in 10th. Uh, he could start his climb back up with a good weekend there at Detroit. And then there's plenty of people that are behind that uh, that are outside of the top 10 in points. I would love to have a big run there at uh, Detroit as well. The uh, NASCAR Cup and Truck Series will be running at uh, Gateway, Xfinity, as I mentioned earlier, Portland. Uh, they haven't put out the, the entry list yet. It's too early in the week. But... They'll be racing, the trucks will be racing on Saturday afternoon, and then the Cup Series will be racing on Sunday afternoon. So that'll be interesting there. Um, the Toyota 200 at Worldwide Technology Raceway, uh, it's interesting. Ross Chastain uh, gave uh, one at, at Gateway a few years ago, which led to one of the greatest um, um, announcing moments ever. Um, in general, which has been goofed on numerous times before uh, because it is Vince Welsh, because it sounded like he was either getting plugged by Michael Waltrip or having a stroke, one or the other. And then it it makes sense. We talk about Ross Chastain because he won uh, there at Gateway previously. And the way that uh, the uh, Nice Motorsports team looks, they look like they're on the cusp of winning again. Uh, with their regular driver, even though Ross Chastain ended up winning uh, the race on uh, Friday night. And Finger finished second, John Hunter Nemechek third, Eckes fourth, Zane Smith fifth after winning one stage. Um, Tanner Gray, Kyle Busch, Chandler Smith, Stuart Fries, and Ben Rhodes, the top tens. Ben Rhodes won the second stage. And Ryan Priest ran up front. Most of the night ended up finishing 11th, and um, we can go through some of the other people. But Carson Osovar led the most laps, led 57. It was him, and uh, Zane Smith led the majority of the race. But it ended up Osovar and Priest racing for it at the end, and it didn't work out so well for either of them. A wreck, which involved Jesse Little, uh, and I don't know who else, um, yeah, seven... Is it 02 and 16? The 16 truck of Tyler Ankrum uh, led to a basically green white checkered, which saw Carson Hosevar lose um, the race essentially there. But as it goes into this weekend's race, I mean, Priest ain't going to be there. Hosevar has been running really, really well, Josh. Uh, 
this season here in the last few races at least um i should probably go and bring up the um racing reference uh, stats instead of the official stats because they don't give you everything you really need um going into this race i think it might be an opportunity we keep on talking about when is uh, hosevar going to win and now they're going to be on a regular they're going to be racing every week they're going to go from gateway to sonoma then from sonoma to knoxville on the dirt and then they'll be at nashville for on the nashville super speedway so they're going to be racing the next what is it they've been racing since yes since darlington so this is a big part of their schedule or uh, yeah um eight races in a row before their next off uh off week and then they'll have a race at um mid ohio then they'll have a break, then Pocono, and then Indian IRP. Um, the after that, once they get past Nashville, the series kind of slows down a bit for a couple of months before they get into the playoffs. Actually, IRP is their playoff opener, so you know, this is a big part of the season for them, Josh, and what they have to do. Um, but um, looking at Carson Hosevar. His um, average finish and what he's been able to do, um, he looks like a star of the future. Um, may have not had the greatest finish at uh, Gateway, or I mean at Charlotte, but somebody who has a chance to be a standout given the right circumstances. Yeah, I mean, Carson Hosefar um, is eighth in the standings right now with three top fives and five top tens uh, out of uh, ten races so far, but you know, he's been on the upswing the last couple of weeks, last couple of races and everything. And um, he's had the third most uh, laps led so far uh, to start the year. So, uh, or fourth most. So behind uh, Zane Smith, Ben Rhodes and John Hunter Nemechek. So he's up there with those guys. Those guys have been the class of the field, I think, to start off uh, the year in the truck series. So, you know, I think, um, it's only going to be a matter of time before he is able to go out and you know win a race uh, and everything could happen here at Gateway. Um, if not, I mean it'll happen soon enough. Um, I think you know with the way the season has gone for him, he's had a, a lot of good finishes uh, to you know start the year. He's you know had a couple of seconds at Bristol Dirt, Darlington. You know finished top five at at Texas two weeks ago, uh, Charlotte had a chance to win there. So, um, you know, it's only going to be a matter of time before he wins. Um, and, uh, like, like his chances here at, uh, gateway and, you know, uh, could end up being there at victory lane. Uh, of course he's going to have to fight off guys like John Hunter Nemechek and, uh, Ben Rhodes and, uh, Zane Smith. So it's going to be a tough battle, but, you know, he's shown that he can run up there up front with, uh, the best of them in this series. And, um, he's definitely, um, somebody that we're gonna have to watch out for uh, here in the future in this series so um, it's gonna be interesting and then you know we're after Gateway we'll be going to Sonoma which is gonna be interesting because this truck series has not been to Sonoma uh, in a long time if ever uh, I think probably since at least the 90s been right in the 90s early yeah. 2000s something like that has been a long long time so it's interesting they're going to Sonoma uh, here and then going to have a dirt race at Knoxville, Tennessee or Knoxville, Iowa. So um going to be an interesting uh, couple of weeks and then Nashville. So 
uh, before they have a couple of off weeks before the mid-Ohio event. So it's going to be interesting for the trucks uh, here. Um, and then, you know, so if a guy guy like uh, Carson Hosevar can go out and get a couple of wins here at um, possibly, I mean, I'm looking at Nashville and Gateway as possible opportunities for Carson Hosevar to get a win. So um, it's going to be interesting. And then you got a couple of roadies uh, with uh, and dirt tracks with, uh, Sonoma and Knoxville Speedway. So, uh, those, I think those two are going to be some wild card races here in the truck series, but, um, definitely gateway, which is a track that truck series is very familiar with along with Nashville. Um, a lot of history between those two tracks, traditionally truck tracks and, uh, Xfinity tracks, uh, in, in the past. So, uh, these drivers definitely have a lot of experience there. So, yeah, I think Josvar and can win very soon. Um, you know, but you know, have to compete with the the rest of the guys in the truck series. Yeah, and it's something I think a host of our I would say is a is a favorite, but I would also it I mean could probably look at the the Kyle Bush trucks, Chandler Smith and uh John Hunter. Uh John Hunter's run well there before even with his dad's team, so there is that. Uh Zane Smith's been running well all year. It's hard to pick against that big three, honestly, um, of uh, Zane Smith, um, John Hunter Nemechek, and Chandler Smith, uh, and the the Cobblish Motorsports trucks. But we will see what comes of that on uh, Saturday evening in the truck series, and we'll recap it here in the next episode. Get into the Xfinity Portland. They've never been there before with the Xfinity series, but we don't really have a lot to work with in regards to that other than um, A.J. Allmendinger is a freaking alien on road courses, and he has won there before in an Indy car um, way back when, prior to committing to NASCAR, uh, what is it, 16 years ago. Um, other than that, there's going to be a bunch of road course ringers in there. Um, Ty Gibbs has won on a road course before, uh, the junior motorsports drivers, have, I mean, Allgaier has been good on road courses over his career. But, you know, Barry, it's not his forte. Gagson's in between. Mayer has Trans Am experience. Um, you look at the colleague team, they usually benefit from the fact that A.J. Allmendinger is there. Uh, is it a runaway for Allmendinger since the likes of Sindrick aren't there or can, are we going to see a compelling race at Portland International Raceway for the Xfinity Series, Josh? Because it'll be a new race, new race, and new opportunity. Um, it's a definite opportunity and wild card race for that series. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with uh, the way that the series is ran, I mean, I think A.J. Allmendinger is the obvious favorite and with his road course experience and um, open wheel experience uh, back in the kart days. Uh, in this or champ car days at, at this track, you know, you think he's the obvious favorite, but then, yeah, you look at uh, Ty Gibbs, who's run pretty well on road courses. Um, you know, he's one at Daytona and uh, the road course there. So, you know, he's definitely an obvious threat. Um, the junior motorsports, uh, you know, guys, uh, not sure about Josh Berry, but of course, um, um, Justin Algar has been historically good on road courses at uh, the Xfinity Series. Um, so has uh, Noah Gragson, I think, has run pretty well at some, some of the road courses. Um, uh, 
you know, he's ran somewhat well at Charlotte road course. So there is a little bit of history there. Uh, Sam Mayer also, you know, like you said, uh, has experience running road courses, so could run, uh, turn out well for him. Um, you know, the rest of the field though, that's uh, a, a tough look. Uh, I mean, you've got, you've got guys like, um, you know, guys that are not really familiar to the road course scene, uh, overall. I'm, you know, just looking at the, um, season regulars, um, in this, uh, series, but I mean, you may have guys that, you know, who don't normally, uh, run up front that will run up front guys like, you know, Alex LeBay, who's got uh road course experience and has run pretty well at the Xfinity road course races that, you know, could run, uh, up in the, you know, top 10 or close to it. Um, so it, it's definitely a uh, interesting look right now at who who could you know possibly be good at this racetrack outside of um, you know basically the top four guys in the Xfinity Series standings right now. So um, you know going to be an interesting race. We've never seen um, you know these cars race at this racetrack, so it's going to be a whole lot of uh, action. I think um, drivers you know definitely trying to push the limit at this racetrack and trying to figure out, you know, how to get around it. And I mean, it's probably going to, you know, lead to an AJ Allmendinger domination thing. If it, if it happens, we'll have to see. Um, but you know, it could end up leading out to that. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, the only racing that we've really ever seen on this racetrack is, um, you know, Indy cars, champ cars, uh, racing at the, you know, at, at Portland. Um, I don't think, I think we maybe had had a, NASCAR truck race, you know, back, ran in the 90s. back in the nineties, yeah. late nineties, uh, Greg Biffle won there, uh, the one year, um, with the truck series. Uh, I forget who was the other winner there, but, um, but I'm trying to go bring it back. I think it was the year it was 1990. Was it 98? No. Or if I, yeah, I got the 99. Andy Houston. And, Andy, that's right. Andy Houston won in the number 60 truck. Yeah, that's right. Um, the Cat, whatever, I forget, but they had, uh, because Caterpillar was sponsoring you know, Warburton. And then, um, yeah, Greg Biffle won the first race there in 1999. Uh, he's from, he's of course from Oregon too. So home win, uh, beat his teammate Mike Bliss. Ron Fellows driving for Joe Nemechek led the most laps, and then Boris said qualified on pole, so it was him and Ron Fellows on the front row, but Greg Biffle ended up getting the win. The three of them basically dominated the race, and then the uh, you mentioned Andy Houston led one lap. Um, Dennis Setzer led 23 laps in that race, and then Brad, or Brad, Brad Kesel, Bob Keselowski, Mopar Performance Dodge, uh, Jack Sprague uh, led a lap, finished third. Uh, Kurt Busch, Kurt Busch, uh, uh, led twelve laps after starting in second. Uh, his teammate Greg Biffle started on pole, led twenty-two laps, and then uh, Borisette, who started third, um, started uh, well, led fourteen laps. Um, finished 15th. It says Jimmy Spencer was his owner. How the hell does that happen? It was Ernie Irvin and Mark Simo owned that team, but whatever. Excuse me. So, um, yeah, those are the two 
races at Portland. So it'll be the first time in 22 years that uh, one of the top three NASCAR series will be racing uh, at uh, Portland International Raceway. And I think the uh, thing to focus on, uh, other than the, the fact that A.J. Allmendinger in the last 10 Xfinity races, thanks to Racing Reference, has nine top fives and uh, four wins in the last 10 races on a road course, and, um, which is pretty epic. Uh, Gagson has seven top tens. Brandon Jones has six top tens. Um, both of them have four top fives in that span. Allgaier, fourth. Myatt Snyder, I guess if you really want to get frisky with your money, uh, Myatt Snyder would be an interesting one to take because, of course, he really needs all the help he can get if he wants to make the playoff. Um, Riley Herps would be another one uh, based on being having run the last 10 uh, road course races. And then, um, of course, Ty Gibbs only has seven road course starts, running at the finish at six uh, of them on the lead lap in all of those six, two poles, three three two wins and three top fives so there is that uh jeb burton another guy um run decent on road courses jeremy clemens a former winner at road america so those are some of the people to look at this coming weekend i think hemrick is looking at it as an opportunity after the rough season he's had to possibly go and sneak a victory if aj almendinger doesn't get the win but I think if you're A.J. Allmendinger or Noah Gregson, you're trying to battle for this regular season title, it's an, a chance to go and solidify your spot there. Uh, lasting truck or the Cup Series gateway, um, what are what should we expect? Is it going to be similar to the flat track racing that we've had so far this year, Josh? Or does the opportunity with two different corners, different banking, the opportunity to shift with this Gen 6 or Gen 7 car, we might see a different type of race. I think the tire is going to be much harder than, you know, what I guess they've been running earlier in the season. So it may not exactly allow um, the most passing. Uh, you could say that it'll be a very track position uh, centric race at Gateway. First time for the Cup Series there. But um, what are your thoughts and who do you look at to be someone that can uh, go out there and do some work at Gateway this coming weekend? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting race. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure how well it's going to look like with uh, the flat tracks. I mean, maybe kind of like Phoenix uh, in a way. Uh, Phoenix is kind of maybe a similar track uh, if you discount the dogleg just in the, the makeup maybe turn one and two similar to what is now Phoenix three and four somewhat. And then, you know, turns one and two at Phoenix similar to three and four gateway, um, kind of like that, uh, sort of kind of sort of, so maybe something like that. Um, of course, long straights going to allow for, uh, shifting, uh, and you know, if, uh, cars get behind each other, nose to tail, maybe, uh, somewhat of a draft uh, or slipstream of, of some kind, although I don't know if they'll go fast enough like the Indy cars to be able to kind of allow for uh, that opportunity uh, like that. But it, we could see uh, 
you know, track position be important or, you know, we could see a kind of a wild and chaotic race like we saw this past weekend at the Coke 600. So, you know, it's going to be a interesting event uh, one way or the other um, just because it's a new racetrack um, or it could be something like, um, you know, last year at Nashville, also another new racetrack on the schedule. Uh, that one we thought it was going to be a boring race, but, you know, it turned out that tires mattered a whole lot at that racetrack and, um, you know, Goodyear bringing a harder tire maybe doesn't come into play, but then maybe it does. So we'll see uh, how the tire situation ends up if we have uh, comers or goers uh, on this racetrack because, um, you know, we've never never seen the Cup Cars race on this racetrack before. And then on, on top of that, we're you know, having a, a brand new car, brand new tire uh, formula. So it's going to be interesting to see um, uh, as far as contenders in this race. I mean, it's hard to look at. I mean, you automatically think the the top guys in the series um and um you know would think that you know guys like uh william byron chase elliott uh could be good at this racetrack obviously they have had good success on the flat tracks um maybe somebody like chase briscoe or ross uh, ross chastain newcomers to the series in the last couple of years who um you know they shown what they can do this year on the racetrack when they have the opportunity to do so. So uh, Chase Briscoe, of course, winning at Phoenix. And, you know, I mentioned the Phoenix pretty similar track. So, you know, if they find themselves up front, uh, you know, at the end, they could be possible contender for the win, uh, maybe. Um, so we're going to have to see, um, you know, uh, Joey Logano could be somebody to look at. Uh, I guess if you count the, the clash as being a, a flat track uh, type of, you know, event, even though it was a short track, um, you know, maybe it, it counts towards something. So, um, it's a, you know, it's a tough look right now only, but only because it's a, a new racetrack, uh, guys that have had success here at this track in the past. I mean, Kevin Harvick has had success in the Xfinity series. Um, I think, you know, Denny Hamlin's probably had some success. Brad Keselowski, of course, remember the finish between him and Carl Edwards back in 2010, where he got crashed and, you know, Bob Keselowski with the famous uh, "He ain't gonna kill my boy" rant uh, there. Um, he could, I mean, he's been a back marker for most of the year with uh, um, RFK Racing, but this could new track could be an opportunity to um, possibly steal a, a top ten or a top five potentially, uh, depending on how how the way the things go at this racetrack. So um, it's hard to pick a winner right now, but you know. Uh, we'll have to see what happens and I feel like I'd lean towards more on experience rather than on you know um, raw talent here at this racetrack so probably would have to pick a veteran here to win this race yeah it's a good call in that sense I'm trying to go and look up where they have the last race they ran a gateway in the Xfinity series and it's it seems like it's been a while um because I'm trying to look for it and I can't find it because was it twenty? Because it was twenty uh, two thousand ten when they when they did. That's when um, the roid rage went and ran over uh, Brad Keselowski. It was twenty ten. So let me go back there. So yeah, Gateway. There you go. It was the last. That was the last time they ran at Gateway. Was was twenty ten, and they ran twice there. Um, Edwards won, and Brad Keselowski won the second race there. Um, Kyle Busch is a former winner. You know, Edwards won three times. Martin Truex won there in 2004. Kevin Harvick, a two-time winner at 
at Gateway, but it was more than 20 years ago. Getting to some of the truck guys. I'm trying to see Kevin Harvick is one there in a truck. So Cold was Bubba Wallace. Cold Custard. Christopher, Christopher Bell. Bell. Justin Haley. Yes. Yeah. And Ross Chastain. So, so. so um, I, I mean, if we're going based on the experience thing, any of them guys would be good. It would be a good wild card pick if you wanted to go and get crazy and pick Brad Keselowski. He has success there, has had success there. Um, and if you get into the statistics here fantasy-wise, I mean, Harvick has the um, best average finish of uh, drivers in the last 10 races in the on oval tracks less than or equal to 1.25 miles, which the... Uh, is the track length at uh, Gateway. Um, average finish is 7.3, running at the finish in the last 10, all on the lead lap, eight top 10 finishes. So could sneak one up there. Of course, Bowman the Showman always seems to sneak up there and do work that way. Blaney, Larson, Logano, your top five in terms of average finish. And Clyde in sixth there, just under an 11th place finish there. So Byron, Chastain, Truex, and Hamlin. Brad Keselowski, 11th. Kyle Busch, 12th. Christopher Bell, 13th. So I just mentioned, we just mentioned a bunch of people. Do we know who's going to win? No. Um, Should it be interesting? Hopefully it will be. Uh, But I guess we'll find out. Um, Josh, uh, let us know what's going on on the sim racing side. Um what you're going to be doing here next week or so in uh, regards to that. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting deal uh, with sim racing. Now, obviously, Indianapolis is over and kind of back to the regular uh, deal on sim racing. Um, I'm at the pull up the schedule here for this week on iRacing. Um, got it. But, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I think, uh, iRacing, trying to, trying to get the uh, schedule out on my tv here but uh you know with the way it works i mean yeah here i've got it pulled up on on my monitor here but yeah current series this week uh nascar i think nascar will be at at gateway this week mimicking the real schedule so i may try to you know uh, go out and uh, run some of those races which uh that's going to be something that i like to try i do like gateway in the indy cars um from what I've run uh, there, so I may may try uh, running uh, some of the cup races on uh, the Indy or on Gateway uh, here. So, and then of course the Open Series uh, Indy cars at uh, uh, Belle Isle at the Detroit Grand Prix. So, have never tried that racetrack. I don't think I have that racetrack right now, but may try to obtain that one and run the Indy Car Open Series uh, on the Belle Isle Road Course, uh, which should be interesting. Which and, you know, having never really done a whole lot of road course racing on the IndyCar side, um, definitely need to uh, dip my toes in there and try that out. Uh, I think, yeah, NASCAR, of course, at Gateway, the uh, Legend Series running at the Nashville f- uh, Fairgrounds. So that might be interesting to try out there as well. Um, let's see. And then some of the road course series uh, in iRacing uh, running at Road America. That might be something to try out. Laguna Seca. Um, Let's see what else what else uh, can I try out here uh, yeah Detroit Grand Prix and some of the other road course series uh, outside of Indy road course um, maybe I don't know uh, 
Michelin Pilot Challenge running at uh, Imola. I uh, don't know if I would do that one. That doesn't sound too exciting, but could be interesting. So there's a lot of opportunity to uh, go out and run run different series here. Uh, so it's going to be just kind of uh, pick, and, pick and choose which one, pick your poison. So a lot of opportunity, but definitely at least try out gateway in the the cup car maybe have a little bit of better idea what we might be expecting here on sunday uh considering we have no idea what's uh, going to happen in this race being a new racetrack with everything so that could potentially be an opportunity and then maybe do some road america on one of the um road course series that i run with uh, the mazda miata and the ford mustang gt500 uh could end up running on uh, that that series uh, which is always fun uh, there so yeah, kind of back to the normal deal in iRacing after all the special events. And then you mentioned um, earlier uh, Le Mans, which I think uh, iRacing no longer has the official uh, 24 hours of Le Mans event. There's another game or sim sim game that does it uh, these days. I forget which one. It might be R-Factor or another uh, racing game. So we'd have to go on, on that platform to try out. Uh, but there might be a private event or something for the 24-hour Le Mans on iRacing because they still they still have the Circuit Lasarth uh, track on iRacing. They just I don't think they have the rights anymore to hold the official iRacing uh, 24 hours of Le Mans uh, sim event, and that's with another racing game, which might be our factor. But I have to go and check uh, later. Uh, so that might be something later in the future, or you know something like. Um, uh, another 24-hour event like the 24 Hours of Daytona, which would be next year, which, you know, plenty of time to get acclimated to the um, iRacing, uh, I think, Delara P217 is what, what it is that they run in uh, iRacing for the, uh, I guess, what would be the equivalent to the DPI international class uh, that they run in real life at, uh, in IMSA, so that... We definitely have a lot of time there, plus you know a lot of time just to hone the road course craft, uh, which is you know not as not quite as well as the oval craft, but you know can be can be good at some places. So we'll have to see there. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunity this week, I guess this weekend to do stuff on iRacing for sure. Yeah, so that's uh, I guess um, the end of it for us here today and this week on the Grip Strip Podcast. We'll be back uh, next week to talk about all things that went on here and uh, the NASCAR races, both at Gateway Portland, IndyCar Detroit, leading into um, a full road course weekend because trucks and um, cop will be at Sonoma uh, on the short, on the whatever short course or whatever you want to call it. The short the NASCAR shoot. course. Yeah. With the, with the Jeff Gordon shoot um, that they had in 90, seven and from that point on is then jeff gordon started winning road course races um they'll add that back um they'll have um indycar road america and then uh, formula one will be at baku we'll get in all of that uh, as well and anything else that's in motorsports talk about um roundup we'll motor we'll talk about motorcycles and the like as well so um Josh, where can we find you on uh, the socials so we can follow you and follow your um, streams? Yeah, of course. Uh, the iRacing stuff is on Twitch TV slash 2 Go 
follow that and see all the stuff. Of course, still have the iRacing Indy 500 events that recorded recently, which you can go in there and watch that, which I, of course, won. You can see how I won it and how all that transpired. Um, follow Twitter at JP Huffline, of course, and follow my takes there and see all the things that, you know, I thought about the Indianapolis 500 this past weekend and Coke 600 this past weekend and all my takes on other topics like the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars and the like. So follow me on there. And then, of course, um, you know, we've got our YouTube channel, Grip Cert Podcast. Go there, subscribe, and, you know, like, comment, and uh, subscribe to our channel. Uh, you know, of course, uh, subscribe, get all the notifications uh, when we release videos. So when it happens, you can get the uh, notification that it dropped. Um, usually we drop those on Wednesdays, so, or, well, it ends up being released on Wednesdays. Um, and, you know, go there and have a thing that you can listen to while you're at the office working or uh doing whatever and have it playing in the background and uh see us talk or uh do whatever so we just had our um greatest day in motorsports part one and two that we released and with our friends joe Pacero and spencer neff and we had a great discussion you know talking about indianapolis 500 and monaco grand prix and nascar 600 uh, world 600 at charlotte and how you know our thoughts on that you know particular day and then previewing that so you know catch up on uh whatever you missed uh, the past couple weekends you can go there and watch uh, our our feed and see what we think and everything so yeah, that's where you can follow me and where you can follow our video streams at. Yeah, and you can, uh, when it comes to Josh, I mean, obviously, Indy 500 champion, Josh Fine. So we have to, I mean, since you are in the same, yeah, that's well, correct. not really, You, I mean, it is, but you haven't poured milk on yourself on the show live. So that's probably, if you do that, then oh. you would be in the same <laughs> Uh, level, I guess, as Marcus Erickson, but then you'd smell like shit, and it probably is not something you want to do to yourself. I'd probably have um, to go take a shower afterwards. <laughs> I'd rather, I, I, I guess, chug milk, even though it may not be good for your um, your um, colon, but um, that would be a cool look oh, I'm for fine us with here. Milk. Okay, then yeah, yeah <laughs> let, then let's let's do a milk chug here to celebrate your Indy 500 win here in a future episode. Um, that's what we're going to do. And then we will share it on at grip strip pod on Twitter. It'll also appear of course on our YouTube page, um, like comment and subscribe or like, uh, follow and subscribe, but also follow us on Twitter at grip strip pod. You can follow me at Philip G. Matthew. If Josh does chug, then I will retweet it on my Twitter handle at Philip G. Matthew find me on facebook occasionally um gripster podcast is on uh, philipgmatthew.com my blog site uh, but it's also on apple amazon spotify podbean pandora iHeartRadio, stitcher tune in verbal basically if you need to find a podcast you can find the gripster podcast and if you're already listening i figure you found us already anyway but let Friends know if you like racing, you like sports, football, hockey, my Colorado Avalanche are in the Western Conference Finals. The NBA Finals are about to start with the Celtics. Yeah, because of Patrick Waugh, um, uh, one of the greatest goalies ever. Um, going to jump on the Tampa Bay Lightning bandwagon. Well, I think that's what the Stanley Cup Finals may be. So then I guess we'll have something to talk about hopefully but Edmonton is a tough 
out with um, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. So if Colorado can get past with uh, um, Nathan McKinnon and uh, Kale McCarr, it'll be pretty good. Uh, first time in 20 years since the Colorado Avalanche have been in the conference finals. Uh, they start tomorrow. Um, I'll be at league, so bowling in the doubles league at Majestic, which um, considering how shitty I bowled last week, um, probably due to the health issues I was having, um, hopefully I'll do better. I figure I will kind of have to. Um, but um, thank you for listening to the Grifter Podcast. Thanks, Josh, as always, for doing your part and um, providing great content and insights that you do. And um, for us, um, even in this time where dealing with all these unnecessary and ridiculous um, tragedies um, in our world, um, being good to one another and caring for one another um, matters. And um, hope that's what you're able to do. We provide a little bit of a respite here um, in your leisure time or in your um, work day um, to get away from the craziness of what our world has seemingly become. Um, Hope that we're able to provide you just a little bit of enjoyment and happiness in that time. So we thank you for that. Thank you for following, liking, and subscribing. And uh, we'll be back next week for episode 18 of the Grifter Podcast. So for Josh, I'm Phil. Take care and goodbye.